0: Father, we thank you that we are your children, that you call us children, that you love us, that you pursue us, that you embrace us. We thank you for the wonderful way in which Jesus exemplified your love for us. And I pray that you would help us approach you like children, in simplicity and innocence and trust, with deep affection in our hearts, warmth and love for you. Lord, bless our time together, bless the proclamation of your word, and we think about the children in the cove this morning as well, God, and we ask that you would bless them as they're learning about your love and your grace. Lord, would you sow seeds in their hearts that will grow into kingdom fruitfulness, we pray. Bless our time together in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, I would love for you to turn with me in your Bible to Luke 18. We're going to be in verse 15. As always, if you don't have a Bible, we would love to give you one. We have some on the back table that you can help yourself to. Uh, Next week, we're going to start Advent. Can you believe it? And we are also going to have uh, a special service where the children from the Cove are actually going to be in here with us, joining us for worship. And uh, I'm excited to say... That they're going to be joining us not because we are short on volunteers, but because we just love having them be present with us, and we want our whole church to share in this value of raising kids who know and love Jesus. And uh, it's worked out rather perfectly that our passage of Scripture is this, uh, chat, or this, this section from Luke 18 verses 15 through 17. Before I read it for us, uh, if you don't already know, I have four small kids. So it's personally very important to me that the church be a place where children's ministry is important, where it's a value, where that's a priority for our church. Uh, Of course, at home, uh, I'm doing everything in my power to raise my kids up so that they love Jesus and know him and follow him. But it's also encouraging to know that the body of Christ, the church, stands behind me and my wife in that endeavor. So I'm excited to be on this passage of Scripture this morning, I'm, I'm excited for the, the children from the Cove to join us next week. I think that that will be wonderful. Um, don't, uh, don't take the Sunday off just because the kids will be in the room with us, okay? Let me read Luke 18, verses 15 through 17. It says, Now they were bringing even infants to Jesus that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called them to him, saying, Let the children come to me and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Uh, I think I could fairly claim to be somewhat of an expert on children. I don't have a degree in child psychology. I've not read too many books on the subject. I've not done any clinical research on the matter. But as I mentioned, I have four small kids, which I think is worth a lot more than just academic exposure to what it means to uh, raise children. Uh, I have an eight-year-old boy, a seven-year-old girl, and twins, a boy and a girl who are five and a half. And I hope that as sort of a father of four and also a serious student of the Word of God, that that will earn me a little bit of credibility this morning as we talk about children and God's love for them in this uh, passage from Luke 18. As I read this excerpt from Luke 18, I think the big question that presents itself in this passage of Scripture is this. Why must we, as adults, receive the kingdom of God like children? What does that mean? When Jesus says, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. How should we understand that? Or maybe we could even say, how do we go about obeying the command that we find in these verses? How do we receive the kingdom like a child? I want to get to that big question, but first I want us to reflect on another detail that we find here in verses 15 and 16. So let me read this again. It says, Now they were bringing even infants to Jesus that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called to him, saying, Let the or called to them, saying, Let the children come to me and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. I think we can safely say that not much much has changed when it comes to humanity in two thousand years. The core essentials of what it means to be human, the core of the human experience has really not changed much despite modern technology and all of those sorts of things. Uh, This is going to backfire a little bit, but if you look around the room, have you noticed how suspiciously empty of children this room is on a Sunday morning when we get about the business of doing church? I actually see quite a few children here this morning, which I love. I hope I don't bore them to death. But if you haven't noticed how suspiciously empty of children this room can be on a Sunday morning, isn't that sort of exactly the point, right? In general, kids are not welcome in big church. I don't know about your experience, but that's what we called it growing up. There was big church, and then there was kids' church, and these were two separate things. And the disciples, I think, are guilty of the same thing that we're often guilty of. Seeing children as nothing more than a distraction, A nuisance, an interruption to the very important things of life that come with being a grown-up and being an adult. From the perspective of the disciples, Jesus is trying to do the important things of his ministry, teaching and healing people, when suddenly all of these little kids come and interrupt and they start getting in the way, distracting from the important things that grown-ups do. And so they do what any adult might do when kids are being a nuisance, a disturbance. They rebuke the children. And they try the best uh, their best to get them out of the picture so that the grown-ups can get back to doing the very important things that grown-ups do. But notice here, Jesus doesn't rebuke the children. Jesus actually rebukes the disciples. And what we see, I think, is... The heart of our God in his kingdom priorities, that children are welcome at the feet of Jesus. And this is a really stunning picture, I think. The Bible actually doesn't give us too much, especially in the New Testament, about what it means to love on little kids and care for them. I mean, we find a few explicit verses, but there's not a ton there. But this picture alone is absolutely monumental in how we should, in speaking into how we should think about children. It should cause us to pause. In short, what we see is that the nurture and the care of children into the kingdom of God is a high priority to God. And if it's a priority to God, then therefore we can say it should also be a priority for us. I would even say whether there are children or not. I think we can safely say none of the disciples had children at this point, right? And yet Jesus wants them to see how precious these children are in the eyes of God, their priority to him in the kingdom of God. Children are inexpressibly important to God. And so let's look at this particular point from a couple different angles, okay? Maybe you're like me and you have kids, and so let me start here. First, in your home, in your family, what priority do children play? Do they come after a clean floor and folded laundry? Do they come after the importance of your email inbox? In your house, in your family, does your employer trump your children in importance, in the amount of attention that you give? Are you content to let the children in your family learn what they know from TV or from the internet or maybe even just from their friends? Do you consider the children in your family a blessing from God, or do you see them as a drain on your time and your energy? And I confess, I sometimes make these mistakes, right? It's easy to do. If you've ever made one of them, then you know. I can't even count the number of times that I've been working in my office at home, probably writing an unimportant email, or maybe, maybe even writing a very important sermon, and one of my children comes into my office and rather than give them the attention that I should give to them, I see them just as a nuisance, an interruption, an inconvenience. But listen, children need to learn about the reality of life, that they can't have all of my attention all of the time. They need to understand that they're not the center of the universe and I need to Be proactive to teach them these things. That is important. But if I'm really honest about the kind of time and attention I give to my kids, I neglect them. I often think about this. I mean, I understand this is my role, but I often give dozens of hours in a week to teaching people about the kingdom of God only to carve out maybe dozens of minutes in a week to teach my own children about the kingdom of God. Or here's a good one, sometimes my kids on accident will spill a glass of milk, and because it's an inconvenience to me to pick that milk up, I yell at them for something that is an accident, and I get frustrated at the minutes of time that I'm going to have to give, if it's even that much, to cleaning up the milk on the tile floor. As if somehow them accidentally spilling milk was a reflection of their heart that should be... Rebuked, right? Contrast these things then with Jesus. I wish that I was a better example, but we'll go to Jesus as the good example, right? He embraces the interruption of his very important work, and his work was actually very important. He embraces the interruption in order to embrace the children that God loves so deeply. And this is a profound picture of God's heart when it comes to kids. Now that's in the house, maybe you're in the stage of life where you don't have kids, or maybe you've never had kids. What about here at church, Maricopa Springs? You're not exempt from this, I would say. Do you ever see children as a sort of necessary evil when it comes to participating in the life of the church? Here's a question for you to ponder. Consider this. If we were to just shut down the cove, which... Children's ministry is a very Western, modern invention when it comes to the experience of the church. But if we shut down the cove in the back, would you go looking for a different church because of the inconvenience of having children present in the church service every single week? Would you suffer through the fiddling, the fidgeting, the crying, the scurrying, the sneezing, the whispering that comes with having kids present in the room on a Sunday morning if we shut down the cove? Would you suffer through that like Jesus suffered the children to come to him? Or would you go church shopping for a place that had more respect for your very important grown-up things so that they had the courtesy to put the children in their pen in the back of the building so that you could go about doing what you do on a Sunday morning without any inconvenience. I mean, if the church abandoned children's ministry so that children could worship with their parents, would you just as easily abandon the church to find a more convenient place to worship? Or maybe you do think that it is a priority for the church to raise up children to love Jesus just so long as it's somebody else's responsibility to do it. Maybe you do want kids to be led to the feet of Jesus just as long as it doesn't take away from your time, from your uh, focus. Uh, It's funny what Doug talked about this morning. At our house, my wife and I, we, one of the things we teach our children is that the church is like a family, that you are like a big extended family, which means that I am at home telling my children that you are like grandmas and grandpas, aunts and uncles, brothers and sisters to my children. And listen, it's absolutely my responsibility, Leanne's responsibility to raise our children to love Jesus because we are their parents, The Cove Children's Ministry is not a replacement for that. You are not a replacement for that. That's not an excuse from our responsibility to do those things. But my kids, I can tell you, they are smart kids and they watch you. They see the way that you live. We have conversations at home about the things that they overhear at church, the things that they see people, their family, their extended family at church do and say. And so do you help my children see that God is kind, that God is loving, that God is not bothered by their presence, but rather loves that the children would come to him? Do you see the importance of loving the children of this church by supporting the cove, by praying for parents, by encouraging them, by blessing mothers and fathers, by displaying the love of Jesus, to the children that are constantly watching and observing you. Uh, just as an illustration of this, I love the fact that Dick and Donna Crotty, aren't you guys like in your 60s? I shouldn't ask that. <laughs> Dick, Dick and Donna Crotty are one of the primary local go-to babysitters for John and Kim for their one-year-old daughter. Isn't that beautiful? Like, I I just love that picture. Finally, in this regard, I just want to mention that in January, we're starting these... You you guys are going to get all kinds of babysitting calls now. (laughs) I apologize for that. Uh, I just want to mention in January, we're starting these family church groups. If you were here through the month of October, you heard us talk about them all the time. These are just smaller expressions of the church manifesting itself like a family. And in those groups, one of our goals is that children will be integrated into those groups. Uh, They will be an ever-present, wonderful interruption that I think will bless them deeply and hopefully stretch us and challenge us. I do highly encourage you to consider being part of one of these groups if you haven't already registered, they're going to incorporate all ages, and that's intentional. We are not going to go get babysitters. We're not going to set up child care. We want children to see the family of God experience worship together, experience family life together, so that kids can see their parents grow in discipleship, so they can observe and participate and possibly be part of that as well. And I would say so that even other parents beyond, or other adults beyond just the parents can participate in showing children in this church how beautiful Jesus is, how wonderful it is to sit at his feet. And so let me just remind you, the care and nurture of children is a priority to God. We see Jesus exemplify this in this passage of Scripture. And if it's a priority to God, then I would say it must also be a priority to us. And so how are you doing? How are you doing in your own family when it comes to making children a priority so that they understand how much God loves them? How are you doing around here at Maricopa Springs when it comes to loving children and pointing them to Jesus? Do you even feel like that is your responsibility at all? Or do you sort of think that you're better than Jesus and see it as somebody else's responsibility? Okay, I admit that was a long tour, a detour, but I think that it was important nonetheless. Let me come back to the primary question now, verses 16 and 17. Let me read it again. It says, But Jesus called them to him, saying, Let the children come to me, and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. So why must we receive the kingdom of God like a child? What does that mean? How do we go about obeying Jesus in this command to receive the kingdom of God like a child? I want to give you four characteristics of children that I think that we should emulate as we seek the kingdom of God. This may be the very first time that you have ever learned from children. And I admit that normally you should be teaching them, but for once... Here's an opportunity for you to learn from them. Of course, this is not an exhaustive list of things that we might learn from little kids. But I think it's a list of some characteristics that we can find further supported in Scripture. And so here's an opportunity for you to learn from a child the proper humility necessary to approach Jesus. First, children are innocent. That's not to say that children are without a sin nature. Most of the time I'm up here, I'm using my children as illustrations of what it means to have a sin nature, and maybe I should repent for that. Uh, but But I would say children have not yet learned to love the corruption of this world like you and I often love the corruption of this world. Last week I was driving home, driving my kids home from school after picking them up, and we got into a rather funny conversation. It came up, uh, here's I guess a plug for public school, right? It came up that a classmate of one of my daughters was using the F word at some point in school, and so one of my children repeated the word in the car, asking me what it meant, and as soon as one of them said it, then they all piped up saying it, saying, yeah, I've heard this word too, Dad, what does it mean? And uh, I took the easy way out and simply said, this is just not a word that we use in our house. But the point is this, my kids are innocent of evil. They didn't know. And they had a curiosity about it, but it was a distant curiosity. The point is that this was not something that, that enticed them. The curiosity came from encountering something that they knew nothing about, something unfamiliar to them and it faded very quickly because they had no ongoing interest in it. We've not had a follow-up conversation. That word has not appeared again in my house since then. They simply obeyed what I said, and because they are innocent, it passed. And Paul says in Romans 16, 19, he says, I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. How many of you Us in this room can claim that we are innocent as to what is evil. More often than not, our curiosity about evil is not a distant curiosity. It's the curiosity that comes from desire because we actually long for evil in our lives. Or look at it another way let me try and rephrase this it's not a curiosity that comes from outside but rather from inside. Jesus tells us it's not what goes into a person that defiles them, it's what comes out of a person that defiles them. Because what comes out proceeds from the heart. It's a reflection of who we are. So when I say to receive the kingdom of God requires us to be childlike in our innocence, what I mean is that we must not love the corruption of this world. We must not participate in it out of a desire to be part of it. Of course, my children sometimes do bad things. But what I find very interesting is whenever we discuss evil and I explain it to them, they are just surprised that people would behave in such a way. Often they're even horrified. Their eyes get wide with lack of understanding. They're confused. They show revulsion as to what could possibly be attractive about the kind of behavior that adults sometimes engage in. And I would say that's because children are naturally innocent. So let me try and connect this to your life. In the things that you watch, are you innocent of evil? In the things that you participate in, are you innocent of evil? in the things that you allow your mind to dwell on, in the thoughts that you have regarding other people, maybe even some of them in this room, in the desires of your heart, in the way that you speak about other people. Are you innocent of evil? Are you childlike as you seek the kingdom of God? And I pray that God would change our hearts from the inside out so that the evil things that this world tends to crave would be repulsive to us in our innocence. So that instead we would be drawn to Jesus rather than those things. Second, children are trusting. I can't remember where I, I heard this. I think it was at a, uh, maybe a pastor's lunch. But I, but I heard this tragic truth that often pedophiles, when they want to entice children, will use a simple line to lure them when they encounter them outside in a park park or apart from their parents, they'll simply ask the kid, I've lost my puppy, will you help me find it? And that's enough to lure an innocent child away. So to prepare my youngest daughter, Briley, I asked her that. uh, I think it was this week even. I said, Briley, if a stranger were to ask you to help them find their puppy and mommy and daddy weren't around, what would you say? She got this big smile on her face and she said, yes, I would help them. And I I had to explain to her she should say no unless mommy and daddy were around. But the reason this works is not just because puppies are cute and kids like puppies. That's only part of it. The reason this is effective is because children are naturally trusting. Every day my kids wake up, they trust there will be food on the table, their needs will be met, our house will be there, they'll be well provided for and cared for, they'll be loved and supported. They trust me and their mommy to supply their needs and actually even far beyond their basic needs, don't they? And so can we claim to have the same kind of trust for our heavenly father? Certainly, certainly we grown-ups can learn a lesson from children here, can't we? In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus challenges the person fraught with worry and anxiety over this life. He says, consider the flowers, consider the birds. The birds don't labor. They don't worry. They don't fret. They don't save even for retirement. They don't store up. He says that birds eat each and every day because God is faithful to supply their needs each and every day. And if we are worth far more than the birds in the eyes of our heavenly Father, how much more can we expect to have our needs met by him? And so the truth is, you cannot enter the kingdom of God unless you trust God. Like a child trusts his mommy and daddy. If you want to enter the kingdom of God, it is absolutely necessary that you surrender yourself into the trustworthy hands of God. Like a little child trusting he's going to hold you, he's going to care for you. He's going to support you. He's going to provide for you. Trust is essential in the relationship between man and God. And without trust, there is no relationship, period. So I ask again, do you worry? Are you fraught with anxiety? Do you fear? Are you overwhelmed? Are you stressed out? let me encourage you to trust God. Trust his word. Trust his promises. Trust his grace and his power to save. Reflect back on all the times in which he has come through for you and believe in his ongoing provision for your needs. Trust in his commands that they are best and that his victory is sure. As scripture tells us, at the end of all things, he will be victorious. Like a little child safe in the arms of his daddy, trust in the strength of our God. Third, I want to point out that children are helpless. This one's a little more tricky to draw out, but what I mean here is that children are weak. They are by nature humble because they can do nothing for themselves. Anybody who's gone through potty training a young child understands what I mean when you get that constant call from the bathroom that it's time for some help. I would venture to say even my five-year-olds are, are pretty uh, independent and capable. They're actually at the point where they can make their own breakfast, they make their own beds, they dress themselves more or less most of the time. They can even do homework by themselves to a large degree. But even with all of this independence, if I left my children at home for a week alone, they would certainly perish, would they not? Because they are helpless. And that's a beautiful thing to me. It really is. Because while at some point I want them to be independent, hopefully they're not living at home in their 30s, but when they're children, I love the fact that they need me. And for us to come to God, we have to be painfully aware of our need. We have to be honest about our weakness. We have to acknowledge the fact that we are helpless without our Heavenly Father. Listen, the proud and self-sufficient person will never enter the kingdom of God because they will never acknowledge their deep need for Him. And therefore, they cannot enter His kingdom where He provides. A child, on the other hand, feels no shame No shame at all in asking mommy and daddy to help with even the simplest or even most embarrassing things. Psalm 40 verse 17 says this, As for me, I am poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought for me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, O my God. Listen to this beautiful line. As for me, I am poor and needy, But the Lord takes thought for me. Or, as the Apostle Paul learned, the power of God is most wonderfully displayed in our weakness. Because in our weakness, we see that God is sufficient. He's our ever present help in times of trouble. He is victorious even when we fail, and He upholds the cause of those who are humble. He is great and we are small, and that is as it should be so I ask, when you come before God, how weak are you? How helpless are you? How humble are you before him? How broken? In pride, when you stand before God, do you think that you've accomplished most of this on your own? You've traveled the journey primarily by your own strength. You've lifted the weight mostly by yourself. You've earned what you have. Your righteousness is of your own doing. Or do you simply acknowledge before God, like a little child, Father, I am poor and needy, but you are great because you take thought for me. Finally, I want to say that children are affectionate. Man, my my heart truly does break to think of the number of times that I've spoken harshly to my children in sin and had to apologize to them. Only to have them come to me with numerous hugs and kisses, with great love and affection, to express their love for me. I mean, if you're a parent, you, you've probably been broken by this experience too, where in sin you lash out at your children and only moments later they're smothering you with hugs and kisses because they love you, they are affectionate. It is amazing how deep the affection of a child goes something that often frustrates me. I mean, it happened even last night. It happens all the time in my house. I tuck my kids into bed, and we go through this long ritual, right? It takes a lot of my time. I hug them. I kiss them. I ask them a series of questions. I tickle them in their beds. I tuck them in. We pray together. I go downstairs, and only moments later, I hear the little feet coming down the stairs. Daddy, I just want one more hug. I give them one more hug, which is really frustrating because I just went through all this work to tuck them in. They go back upstairs. Two minutes later, they come back down. Daddy, I just want one more hug, right? And after like, well, after the first hug, but especially after the fourth or the fifth one, I start to get angry. And they don't stay in bed, and this bothers me. It bugs me to no end. But my children have a deep affection for me. They love me. They just want to express that love to me. And tragically, think about this, tragically I find sometimes people who call themselves Christians seem to have very little warmth and affection for Jesus. They might have a serious commitment to the obedience of God's word. They might have deeply religious duty to church. They might swear their allegiance to the name of Jesus, give their time and money even sacrificially, take their Christian responsibility very seriously, all of which are very good things. And yet for all of that, they lack a warmth, an affection for Jesus, like a fire that burns but it gives off no heat at night. Like Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, if I give my body away, if I give away all that I have for the sake of Jesus and yet I have not love, I've gained nothing. Listen, obedience to God's word is absolutely important. Our service to the church is important. Giving sacrificially is vital. But those things, they have to flow from a deep and overwhelming affection for Jesus. They must be born out of our love for Him, or they're ultimately meaningless. On Friday, we were doing some serious house cleaning after enjoying some time off for Thanksgiving. And uh, I was surprised, I think Leanne and I both were surprised to find out that our seven year old daughter has a deep passion for cleaning toilets. Who knew? But the truth is, my daughter does not love cleaning toilets for the sake of cleaning toilets. She wouldn't go to a park and start cleaning a porta potty just for the sheer joy of cleaning the porta potty. Do you see? She loves cleaning toilets because she has a deep affection for her mommy and daddy. It is her affection for mommy and daddy that gives her a newfound love for cleaning toilets. And likewise, I pray that we would be people with a deep affection for Jesus A childlike love for the Father, a tender warmth for the Holy Spirit residing inside of us. And out of our love then, obedience would flow so that we too might love doing things like cleaning toilets to the glory of Jesus. And if you don't actually love God with warmth and affection, like a child loves their mommy and daddy, then I don't think you really have any understanding of the beauty of the kingdom of God. Let me conclude with this. Far be it from us as a church to look down upon children participating in the life of the body of Christ as a necessary evil. God loves children. And in the case of this story, I think we have much to learn from them about how we should come before God. In fact, I think if we see things rightly, we're going to understand that actually We are far more like children than we might care to admit as we stand before our Father. We are desperately in need of the provision of God our Father. We are helpless. Do you see that you are completely at His mercy? You don't even have control over what happens the rest of the day, although you may think you do. You are completely at the mercy of God our Father. We bring nothing to the relationship except our soiled clothes, if you get my meaning, and our constant need to be fed and filled up and cared for. We are not self-sufficient before God. And yet, in spite of the mess, in spite of the neediness, in spite of what little we bring, God suffers us to come to him. He says, let the children come. Not just the children who are so by virtue of their age, but God loves us, his children, who are his children by virtue of the cross. And so I pray that we would always see ourselves in constant need of his grace, under constant provision of his affection, cared for by his faithfulness, and in that always longing for his innocence. Let me pray for us. God, would you help us to love children and would you help us to see in them the lowliness of our position before you? God, would you allow us to be these things, innocent of evil, deeply affectionate for you, trusting in your provision and your goodness, Weak and humble before you. And Lord, I pray that we would be deeply encouraged by this idea that you say, Suffer the children to come unto me. Let the little ones come. That you might lavish your love upon us in our need. That you might reward us for our trust. That you might encourage us in our weakness. That you might bless us in our innocence. Lord, would you make us like children who trust deeply and who love you warmly, even as you have first loved us. In Jesus' name I ask these things. Amen.